Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode 100. Yep, we hit the century mark, people. Um, tonight, uh, Nick Bender comes back and guest hosts with me, and we talk with Annette Zapp. Um, she is the owner of Fire Rescue Wellness, um, and you can find her on Instagram and firerescuewellness.org. Um, we had a great conversation. Um, also, Annette has been in the fire service herself for almost 20 years. So she knows what she's talking about because she's been there. Um, and she is one of us, like she says on the podcast. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Uh, we had a great time making this episode and learned a lot of stuff. Um, so, yeah, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, here you go. Episode 100 of the Washdown Podcast. It's fine. <laughs> See, and that's the thing with Zoom calls, though, is I can't just be sneaky and hit the record button and then nobody knows we're recording until I say, hey, Nick, Annette, welcome to the show. It's right. everybody knows already. So, and we're right. live. Yeah. <laughs> we're recording live recording. In progress. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, well, you know what, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Annette and, uh, Nick, you've been on the show before people know who you are. So, or they will once your episode comes out. <laughs> yes. Nick, you want to go first since you're actually a host? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in the fire service five, five and a half, six years now, been a paramedic for six of those or for about five and a half, six years, been in the fire service coming up on four um, I've, I've seen a lot of your stuff through, uh, um, uh, through Instagram, um, really big into strength conditioning side of things. That's ultimately what draw, drew my attention to you. And why I told Jeremy, we need to get you on. Um, I compete, compete is a very loose word in powerlifting. It's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's a discipline for me, something for me to do. Um, and you know, I love the fire service and I know that there's, um, a gap that could be bridged between, you know, health and wellness and strength and conditioning with, uh, with the fire service. And that's what, that's ultimately why I'm here today to talk through some things. I love it. Well, I am AZ and I am a nearly 20 year veteran of the fire service. I work in a full-time or on a full-time career fire department in the Western Chicago suburbs. And I have nearly 30 years experience in human performance. And so before I was in the fire service, I worked full-time in human performance. And then I sort of did both for a while. And then I realized it didn't make a lot of sense for me anymore to be training youth hockey and baseball players and people's wives for a figure competition. I could do it, but it didn't make a lot of sense because I have a niche and I really understand the fire service. And there are a lot of really, really talented health and wellness professionals out there, dietitians, strength and conditioning coaches, um, athletic trainers, physical therapists, even mental health professionals. They're super talented, but they don't understand the fire service. And so that's kind of why I niched or niched, whichever you tend to say, down into fire service only. And so now I'm still fighting fires for 18 more months, but then I also run a business called Fire Rescue Wellness. I provide consulting services. I provide education. 
and health and wellness management services to fire departments. However, comma, I realized that I can't do this for every fire department in the world. So another thing that I also do is I take re those really talented health and wellness professionals and I mentor them and they go through my classes and I train them and I give them the cultural competency and the ability to um, work in the fire service. So that, in a nutshell, is what I do. Nice. Are a lot of those people that you're uh, mentoring, are they also in the fire service or are they just kind of in the strength or, you know, the not, personal no, training not, world? And... Not usually, because here's the problem. And I could go on a huge soapbox on this and I won't unless you tell me, unless you green light me to do it. Green light. But <laughs> <laughs> I truly believe that doing it, the DIY in-house method doesn't work even if you have a super talented there are departments out there that have within their midst super talented dietitians and strength and conditioning professionals and even mental health professionals but what we find is that it's really hard to be a prophet in your own kingdom so first of all your other your other personnel are going to be like does she really know what she's talking about? I mean, I know she just presented at a national conference, but does she really know what she's talking yeah. about? I saw her and, eating fried chicken the other day at the station. So, well, you won't though, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing is that this whole DIY method, it might be fine if you took someone like me and put me on a day shift, you know, a 40 hour week. And that was my job managing health and wellness. But we try to do this whole like, oh, just do it on duty. Well, you can't. You can't do it on duty, even if you have the talent and the skill. But then we we back it up and we make it even worse. We we send these people that are merely interested in health and fitness to a 40-hour class, whereby we say, Ooh, you are now able to do all of the all of these things. But you have to do it on duty for no extra pay. So the people to answer your question, the people that I'm working with for the like 99% of it, they are people that are not in the fire service. They are full-time in human performance, health and wellness, mental health, whatever. And they want to break into the fire service. Gotcha. So, so what's the biggest obstacle? for you whenever you go and present to uh, a fire department to get them to buy in? Oh, for me, I have kind of the golden ticket and I, I monopolize on that for a long time. I was like, Oh, it's kind of not fair. I have like this ability to relate to them because I do the job. That's kind of not fair. I don't care anymore. I'm going to monopolize on that. And that's the first thing I tell them. I do this job. And I have this little like tagline, I see you, I hear you, I am you, I understand. And then buy-in is just another word for trust. And so if you can get their trust, you've got them forever. So I have a matrix that I use. And it's basically this, meet them where they are, no matter where that is. So if they are 26 times a week doing CrossFit, whether they run ultra marathons, whether they're recreational power lifters, whatever they do, meet them exactly where they are 
And then the next step, which is super important, get them out of pain because all firefighters are in pain. Even if you've only been on the job like Nick for five years, six years, you're in pain. When you've been on the job almost 20 years, you're in pain. So help get them out of pain. So meet them where they are, get them out of pain, and then help them do something that they want to do that they can't currently do. And they're going to say really weird stuff and it's not going to make sense. Like if you asked me, what do I want to be able to do that I can't currently do? I want to be able to sit down on my haunches. If you know what I mean with my ass all the way on my heels on the ground, mm-hmm. I want to be able to sit like that because I can't do it anymore. And you got to dig a little bit like, why do you want to sit like that? What does that mean to you? But once you help them do something they want to do that they can't currently do, then you've got the trust and the buy-in. Then and only then can you start talking about fat loss and performance and VO2 max and all of those other things. So uh, I went way off the rails on your question, but I let them know that I understand because I do the job too. And I get their trust using that matrix. All right. So that uh, that makes a lot of sense with the whole meet them where they are thing. Because we see people, you know, just people are, a lot of people are big into CrossFit. We got a lot of people who compete jujitsu, bodybuilders on the job. So that, that makes a lot of sense. What about the people who are at step zero, who maybe their only physical fitness training was the fire academy that might have lasted three months. And then after that, it was, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, how do you get those people to buy in? Because those are the interesting ones for me. Well, it's an interesting demographic. And usually when you really look at it, it shakes out like a third, a third, a third. So you've got the third at the top that are going to do something. They're going to be high performers. They're going to be go-getters no matter what. And you've got the third at the bottom that they're going to be real hard to reach no matter what we're still going to try but they're going to be real hard to reach no matter what then you have that third in the middle where i really think we have the ability to make the most impact and those are the people that you might be talking about right now some of them frankly they don't know what to do they're terrified they they're afraid of looking dumb and so they'd rather do nothing than go in the gym and look dumb Uh, My friend Troy Torrance has been an embedded civilian with the Indiana State Police for 22 years now, I think he told me. And he said the majority of his candidates coming in, they have academies anywhere in size from like 20. I think he told me the biggest academy they ever had was 120. But he said the majority of those candidates coming in have never picked up a barbell. They haven't done a sport. And so now you say, go work out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the fuck am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And when, when you say, well, just do something, that's not really helpful. Do, doing something in general probably is helpful, but telling them just do something isn't helpful. And so those are the people that I really think that we have a, a really good chance to sort of take their hand, help them explore, you know, just because you like CrossFit doesn't mean that Bob is going to like CrossFit, but if you can get him to go maybe to a couple classes with you and test it out and let him know it's okay. You don't like it. 
you never have to come back again. But next week, we're going to try the step aerobics. And the week after that, we're going to try the trail running. And the week after that, we're going to go to a cycling class. And we're going to keep doing this until we find something that you like. Because frankly, most of us don't want to work out. We really mm -hmm. don't. But if we can find something we actually enjoy, it's super helpful. So focus on that third in the middle where you really can have an impact. And the third at the bottom, they're just going to fight you no matter what. It just gets exhausting. So just don't worry about that third. You'll get to eventually. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting and I find it like even having to have the conversation is kind of weird to me because, you know, a lot of the people that I know and that I came through the Academy with, um, there's a majority of people that are drawn to this profession that were athletes, you, you know, at least even in high school or some of us, you know, played college sports. So we have an idea of what physical fitness means and what working out means and the benefits. And then you come to the fire service and, but it's a totally different, like the demands on your body are totally different. You know, it's that wake up at, you know, two in the morning from a dead sleep and sprint to the rig. And then you're out there, you know, fighting a fire in two degree weather, you know, that's hard on the body. And I don't know of any workout that really simulates that very well. Um, there's, you know, you have to have like the perfect blend of speed and strength and endurance and all that stuff. And, you know, how do you get that balance? And that's something that I've struggled with, you know, for, I've been on 18 years and I've done a variety of different things, you know, trying to keep up with myself, basically. I hope I'm going to remember, I should have got a piece of paper so I could write notes to my old brain. But the first thing I want to say is that power athletes, so those guys in Texas, uh, John Wellborn, Tex McWilkin, they have the saying they've been using lately, which is training for the unknown and the unknowable. So that's kind of a cool concept, but like, what does that really mean? Well, in terms of the fire service, actually, we kind of do know. We know for sure that we need clinically, we need a 42 on our VO2 max. So 42 milligrams, milliliters, sorry. <laughs> yeah. our oxygen consumption test mm -hmm. can we do the job if we don't have that yeah but it's at a huge cost to our system our cardiovascular system so we know we need a 42 on our vo2 max now i can't tell you how much you need to be able to deadlift i can't tell you how fast you need to be able to run or how much you may need to be able to snatch. But what I can tell you is that you do need muscular strength. You need muscular endurance. You need mobility and stability. And so if you kind of put all of those things in a bucket and shake it up and draw it out, the one that you suck at the worst, this is kind of the Cal Dietz method of training. Uh, find what you suck at the worst and work the hardest on that until you don't suck at that the worst anymore and then hit the next thing. And so honestly, our firefighters, the vast majority of them are overweight and obese. 
And if you're overweight and obese, it is pretty unlikely that your VO2 max is, is sufficient. And so without even testing them, I can say we need to work on your body composition and we need to work on your cardiovascular endurance. We need to start there. Do they have other stuff going on? Absolutely. But we can keep it that simple. One of the biggest predictors of an injury in the fire service is a previous injury. So if you've hurt your shoulder before, probably going to hurt it again, or maybe your right shoulder, your left knee, whatever predictor of injury is a previous injury. But another really big predictor of injury is overweight and obesity. And so if we can simply get people's body composition in a more palatable range, I think we're, we're doing a huge service to people. We're helping them out a ton. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, Go that, ahead, Nick. that makes perfect sense. Um, what are some of those methods you use for, uh, fire department personnel to improve their VO2 max? And I know not many people will be able to go out and get it tested, but I'm sure there are things that you could still do without testing it to know it's improving. Well, and actually we can, you can test it in the field. There's a protocol called the Gherkin, like pickle, Gherkin protocol, G-E-R-K-I-N. Actually, I think pickle has an H, but whatever. It's the Gherkin protocol. And it's a simple protocol you can do on a treadmill in the field. What you need to know though, is that the estimation that you get from the Gherkin protocol in the field is probably an overestimation of your actual VO2 max. So if it tells you, you have a 40, you probably don't have quite a 40. So you probably need to work on that. The other thing you can do is that if your department is giving comprehensive medical physicals and you receive a treadmill test at the hospital, the Bruce protocol is generally what they're giving you. And that gives you a completion score in METS, M-E-T-S, and you can actually convert METS to VO2 max. Don't quote me on this. I think it's by multiplying by 3.5 if I'm not mistaken. And so that is another way. And that's probably a little bit better estimation of your VO2 max. And then surprisingly enough, local colleges, if they have an exercise physiology program, we used to go to our local college Benedictine University in our town and they would test like clinically test our VO2 max with the God awful, miserable mask on your face when you feel like you're going to die and they could do it either on a treadmill or on a bike. So you can estimate it in the field, or you can get it tested clinically, probably for free at a college, but simply, you know, doing cardiovascular work and I'm not an expert and I won't say I'm an expert on HIIT training. There are many, many people that are experts on HIIT training, but HIIT training is one way that you can help push that VO2 max up a little bit, but simply, you know, just doing cardiovascular work. Many times our firefighters aren't doing enough cardiovascular work. And one of the things I kind of pride myself on this, uh, one of the things that I do with firefighters is I, I hope I endeavor to present the information in a way that makes them understand why they might want to care. And once they care, then I can give them the, so what now what to do with it. And so how I get them to 
think they might care about the VO2 max is simply that explanation. We know you can do this job without having a sufficient VO2 max. We've seen people do it for mm -hmm. the last hundred years. We know you can do the job, but at what cost to your body? You really need to think about that. And all of those sudden cardiac deaths that we're experiencing after firefighting, many of those can likely be attributed to poor cardiovascular fitness. And so now they've got something in their head to simmer around and not just some stupid, oh, the stupid trainer told me I need to do cardio. They have something that makes them think, oh, I should probably care about this. Well, yeah, yeah. We kind of had that conversation the other day at the station about trying to get people to understand. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you have been doing it for 20 years. You you have shown that you don't need to exercise. But what about those 20 years after you, you retire? And that's that's kind of where I want to try and get that across to people because it's so easy or it's so easy for people to say, I, like, I do whatever I want and I do this job just fine and I, I could do it better than you. And it's like in many cases, yeah, maybe. But. What about after you retire, when you, your children grow up, you know? I'm a metaphor person. You have to talk to me in metaphors to make me really understand it. And so here's the perfect one for this situation. A few years ago, we had a deck fire. And the deck fire was caused because the person had one of those metal fire pit things on top, of their, on top of their deck, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, after we put the fire out, I said, you know, this isn't really safe practice. And he goes, I've had that on there for 15 years and I've never had a problem. And I said, exactly. That's how it works. Every time you have a fire, though, that wood is pyrolyzing or uh, off gassing due to pyrolysis and breaking down. It's, it's only a matter of time before you're going to have a fire. That's how it works. And he just kept saying, yeah, but it's been fine for 15 years. Okay, but now we're at 15 years in one day and you have a fire. So that's my metaphor I use for cardiovascular fitness and fitness in general with firefighters. Yep, you're doing it right now. What about tomorrow? Yeah, well, there's no ill effects right now that we see because we're very see it to believe it, you know, and yeah. So as long as there, we don't see any ill effects, then uh, what's the, what's the ill effects, you know, and then in 20 years, whenever it hits you, cause you are working on your first knee replacement or that second hip surgery or a back surgery or neck surgery or whatever, it's like, Oh, maybe I should have, should have taken fitness a little bit more seriously. Well, and you know, to some extent, I kind of get it because we are, shelled and shooted to death you know our standard operating procedures our standard operating guidelines our hospital procedures we shall and we will and we have to be there at seven o'clock and you have to wear this uniform like i get it i'm tired of being shelled and shooted but this is really important uh, in my opinion way more important than whether someone has tattoos on their arms or facial hair like this is really important Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And it's ultimately who's the person that it benefits the most. It benefits you the most, you know, for your own personal health and wellness. And then like Nick said, for your retirement, 
because that's what we're all working towards, right? We all want to do our 25 or 20 or 30 or 32 or whatever. And we want to be able to leave this job and still be able to walk around, play with grandkids or go on vacation, you know, with our spouses and be able to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can't tell you how many guys that I've seen in my, just my career of 18 years that have retired. And then you see them five years later or three years later, and they're hobbling around and just all crippled up because they didn't take care of themselves. And because they didn't have the flexibility, the stability, the mobility, the strength, all that stuff, it led to injuries. And then it was like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm going to come back to work, but I'm not all the way healed up because the physical therapy didn't do exactly what it needed to do. And I didn't advocate for myself. So, oh, well, then I heard it again and heard it again. And then I heard this other thing. And before you know it, you know, you're held together with pins and screws that, you know, arthritis is not fun just so everybody knows. <laughs> well, and you know, I am on a mission. I, let me just get this out here right now. I'm saying it to the world. I am on a mission to hold fire departments responsible for providing health, you know, um, athletic training assessments and strength and conditioning coaches and dietitians. Like I am on a mission, but if the fire department isn't going to provide it, you as the employee with the brain wearing the meat suit has to go, okay, I got to take care of myself because they're not going to take care of me. Ultimately, we are responsible. Does it suck that the department buys this gear that doesn't fit and they get heavier SCBAs and they cut the medical physicals and they don't bring in a strength coach? Does it suck? It does. Ultimately, we are responsible and we have to own it and we can't just say F it because we're going to regret it. Yeah. And it, it's the same thing with mental health. You're responsible for your own mental health. You have to be, you know, and I said it a little while ago, you have to be your own advocate. You know, if you want services or need services for physical fitness, physical health, mental health, you got to advocate for that. And you don't take no for an answer. I mean, we're stubborn and pigheaded about all kinds of stuff on the fire, <laughs> in the fire service. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, right? No, we're putting that fire out or no, we're getting those people out of that car or whatever. We don't quit till the job's done. It's not like we just can go, oh, well, that looks like a bad fire. Pack it up. We're going back to the station. We'll just let that one go. We don't do that. So why do we do it whenever it, the people that it would benefit the most is us, you know, with being happy and healthy and able to move around once we retire? I don't know. And the thing that, I, it, it's good. I think people are finally realizing it that the me you cannot like the mental and the physical they're in like that double bind. You cannot take them apart. And so when you are not treating yourself well, physically, you're not going to feel well mentally. And when you don't feel well mentally, you're not going to perform well physically. And it is like a snowball mm -hmm. racing down the hill. And so and, we have and 
how much money does that cost departments in the long run with time off and having to pay overtime and then, you know, the medical bills and all of that stuff that they end up being responsible for because they didn't do an ounce of prevention. And the return on investment is really good. It's really good on health and wellness interventions if you get the right people. And the problem is getting the right people is a little bit difficult sometimes. You need mental health professionals with cultural competency. And frankly, you need physical health professionals with the cultural competency too, because the first time that lovely dietitian who comes in says something like, um, well, you guys need to sleep more. You just need to sleep more on duty. You're like, you're, you're cute, but get the F out of here, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, uh, what, what do we get Nick at the station? Like 10 solid hours uninterrupted every shift. Is that, uh, yeah. 10 uninterrupted, uninterrupted awake hours. <laughs> 10 hours of sleep plus a nap, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, let's, let's talk about sleep. Um, how, uh, that, that's a big one. We kind of talked about this last week. I think uh, she's excited about your that. Huh? I said, I think she's excited about talking about yeah, sleep. Yeah, I think so. I actually, <laughs> before this, I read one of her, uh, recent posts talking about sleep. Uh, what are your thoughts on tips on to help firefighters with their sleep and, um, just, yeah, just yeah. ultimately some tips on how to improve it. Cause we know how important it is and it's something we lack. Well, I'm going to say again, I see you, I am you, I get you. And I know that bitch in the ceiling sucks. I get it. We have little, I won't say no, we have little control of our sleep on duty. However, there are some ways we can improve our sleep on duty. The first one is go the F to bed. There is no reason to be staying up till midnight or one o'clock playing Call of Duty or watching <laughs> god-awful movie that you have seen 14 other times. There's no reason to do it. And I keep using this analogy. They call me mom at the station and they joke around like when the streetlights come on, I go to bed and it's really not a joke. It's true. But I go to bed at eight o'clock if possible. Last night it was around 930. Unfortunately, very angry about that. But I go to bed at eight o'clock because even if we start running calls at midnight and we get a structure fire and I never get back to bed, I still got four hours of sleep, which is not optimal, but it is way more than the morons got that are playing Call of Duty, okay? Yep. So go to bed. The next thing, some some of the things you can't control in your bunk room, you, you might have snorers, you might have temperature issues. Do the absolute best that you can. Maybe get a fan for some background noise for yourself. Maybe stuff a sock and the guy who's snoring or better yet, <laughs> tell him to go get a sleep study because he more than likely has sleep apnea. About 37% of firefighters have a diagnosable sleep disorder and about 80% of those firefighters don't know it. They don't know it and they're not treated. So send what's his name with the sock for a sleep study. Um, things such as in the bunk room, like 
I know you're going to laugh, but eye masks just to get rid of all of those stupid lights uh, are a great idea. At work, if you can put away your devices and your phones a couple hours, I know, blasphemy, a couple hours before you go to bed, it's super helpful. Or at the very least, set your, your settings to, I think it's like yellow vision or whatever, and get yourself a, a pair of those um, really sexy blue blocker glasses. Um, and then just you know, having a routine, like this is what I do. I go brush my teeth. I go put on my shorts and my t-shirt. I crawl into bed. I call my wife. I close my eyes. I practice some relaxation techniques and I go to sleep. And then you just kind of let it go. If you're mad about it, if you're upset about it, I'm so mad I had to go on this call. You're going to have a hard time going back to sleep when you get back to the station anyway. So do your best and let it go but take radical responsibility off duty. And so, you know, going out drinking with your friends off duty, although fun, it's going to disrupt your sleep. You're not going to get adequate sleep. Um, playing, I, I know guys that play hockey at mid freaking night, midnight, hockey games. Hockey, hockey guys are crazy. Hockey guys are crazy. It's just <laughs> simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand why anybody plays hockey anyway, but that's well, just... hockey's cool. Don't knock hockey, but at midnight, no, thank you. Yeah, but there wasn't a whole lot of hockey being played in Louisiana where I grew up. So, you know, we're from more of a hockey town. Yeah. Oh, well, there's an account on Instagram. It's a it's hilarious. And the guy is like, hey, I was wondering if you wanted to go out tonight with some friends. And he, the same guy is playing the different characters. And he's like, OK, sounds good. And the guy goes, we're thinking around nine o'clock. The guy goes, Cam? <laughs> and the guy's like, well, yeah. And then we'll come and the, the event's starting at 10. And he goes, at night? Like, that's me. Yeah. I'm in bed. <laughs> but radical responsibility for your sleep off duty. So being really super careful with the caffeine. You should also do that on duty. I forgot that one. Being super careful with alcohol, nicotine, and other stimulants. And then just creating the best sleep ability that you can. So giving yourself the seven to nine hour sleep opportunity. Sorry, you can't get seven to nine hours if you go to bed at midnight and have to get up at five. The math doesn't work. So give yourself the best opportunity to get seven to nine hours. Pool, dark room, um, sometimes background noise. Keep the, for the love of God, keep the TV out of your bedroom. And then... I'm really sorry. I love dogs. They're totally my thing. They are very disruptive to your sleep. So put the pets somewhere else, but you know, there's, you can look up 12 tips for best sleep hygiene from the government and you can look up like get better sleep. But when it really comes down to it, if you give yourself a seven to nine hour sleep opportunity, everything usually gets better. And if it doesn't get better, Take the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index Test. If you Google it, QXMD, PSQI, and then have it scored for PSQI, anything over a five, they say, is a serious sleep disruption and you should probably seek medical help. Most of my firefighters screen out at like 12, 17, 18. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Ooh. I mean, I totally believe that on duty, but. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. My chariot turns into a pumpkin pretty early myself. So we talked about this last week. It's like 
I, I read one study about how sleep was important. I'm like, sold. Don't have to convince me. <laughs> so this isn't even a metaphor. This is like scientific data. Young, hot, healthy college students sleep deprived for five nights, but they still got five hours. Those five nights, their testosterone plummeted by 15%. That'll convince when, some dudes, I think. When I was in paramedic school, I was probably getting four to five hours of sleep. I was waking up, going to the gym, thinking, oh my God, I'm doing the right thing. I'm being disciplined during all this stuff. And I gained like 20 pounds that year. Yeah. Because it didn't help that I was still going out with friends on the days I wasn't doing clinical. So I was doing everything wrong. And then now I, now every time I read something, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. That, I that, that, that. That. Yeah. Yep. I have that one up too. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, and, and I really feel like sleep is the magic bullet because it, it has its tentacles on everything. Sleep impacts your mental health. Of course, we know that when you're being an asshole, you probably didn't get enough sleep. So it affects your mental health. It affects not only your dietary choices, but the way your body metabolizes what you eat. And then it also impacts your ability to have a good training session. So it's got, like I said, it's got its tentacles all over everything. So Unless someone is screaming red flag with something else, I usually go after sleep first because sleep makes everything better. When I get irritable on days off, I tell myself, take your medicine and that's go to bed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if you have little kids, if they're being jerks, what's the problem? They need a nap. We're just big babies. Right. We never grow up. Well, at least the males never grow up. Whoa. No, easy there. No, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> it's true. No, I don't we're... have science on that, but it's true. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I can't disagree because I've, I've used that uh, analogy before of how, you know, firefighters are pretty much just stuck at about eighth grade and never mature really past that. Yeah, I mean, males' prefrontal cortexes are supposed to mature at 35, but I just don't see it happening in firefighters usually. <laughs> I'm sure there's some extracurriculars causing those problems. Maybe. I don't know. But, well, uh, you I know, mean, now go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, you know, it's it's interesting because fire departments... Okay, my friend Christina, she's a business coach, and she says something really smart, and I don't think she made it up. I think she's, she got it from somewhere else, but it's basically, if you find yourself repeating yourself, record yourself, and replace yourself, meaning if you've got people asking you the same questions all the time, and you're giving the same answers all the time, it makes a lot more sense to like do a presentation, record it, and then share it, right? It makes more sense. And there is a point, I promise. Fire departments all think that their challenges are unique. Like we have different challenges. Like you have different challenges than Denver and Denver has different challenges than we do, which is somewhat true to a small extent. That's somewhat true. We have different challenges, 
But really, when you get down to it with health and wellness, they're kind of all the same. They really are. Um, people are not investing enough time into their health and wellness. And departments could really help them out by giving them the time, carving it out. Because it's not the same thing to say, we allow our people to work out on duty. It's not the same thing as saying, we dedicate the time for our people to work out on duty. And so if we simply give people the time and the resources and make them feel supported and heard and understood, I pretty much think that I could solve 98%, very unscientific 98% (laughs) of all the health and wellness problems in the fire service. Give them time, give them resources, make them feel heard and understood. So on that subject though, we're seeing nationwide uh, staffing shortages and call volumes exploding. So how are we going to, with less people, give the people that we do have set aside time for them while they're on duty so that they can work on their physical fitness and all that stuff. But still we have to respond to more calls than we ever have. Well, and this is like the trick bag because I'm, I'm trying to understand it's, it's very different now because people are not going to work in places they don't want to work anymore unless they've been there for long enough that they can't afford to leave. I can't afford to leave. At this point, it would be financial suicide for me to leave and go to a different job. I got to stick it out. But these people that are coming in on one year, two years, if they don't like it, they're going to leave. And so the problem is not going to get better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But here's the other problem. You can only do more with less to a certain extent, and you're going to start breaking the people that you have. And so I don't know if I have the answer to this, but I do think that we go on an awful lot of calls we don't need to be going on. We used to go on them just because we could. Like, eh, let's get out of the station. No big deal. Trouble alarm. Now, my department does not respond to trouble alarms. We do not get toned out for them. The only time we go to a trouble alarm is if someone in an apartment hears the, the alarm beeping and calls it in. We're not getting called for trouble alarms from the alarm company. So, for example, if you all are responding to trouble alarms, maybe that's something you need to take a look at. Um invalid assists, instead of just going out and time after time after time, picking up that same person off the floor, dusting them off and saying, that's okay, it's our job. Why aren't we spending 20 minutes on the scene, getting some information, and then going back to the county or the city or authority having jurisdiction and looking for resources for that person? That's what I've started doing. If I go pick up the same person more than twice in a couple of months, I'm making a report to the county. Like this person is falling. They need some sort of resources. 
um, and they ask me a million questions and it takes me a really long time to fill out the report, but it, we're getting resources to those people. So my suggestion is if we can start cutting down on the calls that we go on and like, I'm sorry, we just can't respond to them anymore. I'm sorry, we can't respond to lockout with no hazard anymore because we, we don't have the manpower. I think that's what we're going to have to do. Like, yes, if your toddler is in the kitchen actively making spaghetti on an open flame <laughs> and you're locked out, yes, that's an emergency. But if you just forgot your keys in your apartment when you went to do your laundry, that's really not. We're not a locksmith. Yeah. No. And so why are we responding to those things? That's the one suggestion I can come up with. Yeah. Yeah. We on the ambulance, we have a lot of calls, unknown problems, assault type stuff that PD generally handles. We get woke up at, at three in the morning on Friday night or Saturday nights when they tend to have several of them. You know, we get we get toned out. We go, we stage for however long it takes PD to get there. And then they usually pull up and say, oh, you're good. We handled it. And it's just like, okay, well, now we just spent 30 minutes doing nothing. And it's that same, it's that same concept where I feel well, and probably responding to things that we don't need all of us going to, especially when it's a police matter. Right. And sorry about Brian screaming again. I guess I hit restart the alarm. Sorry about that. <laughs> Didn't again, even hear it. So professional, highly professional. Um, <laughs> I think, yes, I, you know, just because we used to have this attitude, like, that's what you get paid for. Like you raised your right hand. That's what you get paid for. But when we really start looking at it in terms of investment, when you hired me, you made an investment. You sent me to the Academy. They don't do that anymore, but you sent me to the Academy. You bought me some turnout gear. You did some training throughout the years. And even though there's this pervasive attitude that, even if I died, you know, someone else's seat, someone else's butt would be in the seat the next shift. I get that. I get that what's going to happen, but don't you kind of want to get your investment out of your employee? And so if we can, yes, truly, that is your job to get up for that nonsense. It's your job. But if we could meter that out a little bit more efficiently. We have a, I, I work with three police agencies because we're a fire protection district. And one of our police agencies has to call us for every car wreck. Even if the people are saying, we don't want medical, we're fine. This is a fender bender. We don't want them if an airbag goes off. So if an airbag goes off, they have to call us. That doesn't make sense. And so we need to work with these agencies to try to like mitigate this call volume to some extent, I think. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? No, I agree a hundred percent. And, but that's where, whenever you start working with other agencies, um, that's where things get really, really murky. And my wow. guess, my guess would be why they are now required to call you guys every time an airbag deploys is because that police department got sued because they didn't bring medical at one point. So, I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing of why we have SOPs or 
gags or gogs or whatever you whatever your department calls them is that's the for lack of a better term the fuck up list because somebody fucked up and now we have to have a rule to keep people from doing that same thing i'm really proud to say i haven't got a rule named after me yet (laughs) i still have 18 months but not yet if you try hard enough yeah you could do anything you want on your last day of work I know I'm a rule follower though. I really am, which you probably wouldn't guess, but I am a rule follower. Um, but yeah, Jeremy, I don't I don't know what the answer is, but the answer can't be we just can't do it. We can't give you time. We can't give you we just can't because we're literally throwing our employees in the trash and it's super hard to get new ones. You know that whole thing about it's easier to retain a customer than get a new one? Yep. Same thing in the fire service now. We cannot hire new people. And when we hire them, we can't keep them. Yeah. No, you're right. And that goes back to what I was saying, that whole ounce of prevention. I mean, mm-hmm. we ha- we have to start thinking proactively about this stuff on a department and just a job-wide scale. Because you're right, we're not retaining, especially the new hires. Like whenever I came on the job, it was very, very odd for somebody to leave unless they were injured before the 20, because for us, it's 25 years. That's whenever you can go. And it was odd to see somebody leave before then. I have lost count of the number of people that have been between one and five years that have left in the past couple of years. Same, same. And okay, so there, there's a department, <laughs> Pflugerville, P H L U Pflugerville in Texas. It's in Travis County, Texas. Pflugerville has a full time strength and conditioning coach. She's a civilian. They also have three hours of overtime. You're allowed three hours of overtime per week to train off duty. As long as you do it at their fitness center so they can have their eyes on you, or you're also allowed, they have like this pond that's like a half mile, whatever you're allowed to run. So you have to be on property. And so like, that's unheard of. I haven't heard of any other departments doing that, but then, so other departments are like, well, where do they get the money? And my answer to that is where do you get the money for a new SUV for the command staff every three years. Like, why do you need a new SUV every three years? Where do you get the money to pay the maintenance guys to do the maintenance on the vehicles? Yes, we need that to happen, but where do you get that money? Like, these are questions, like we need to find the money to support human health and wellness too, or we're throwing our employees in the trash and like i said we can't get new ones it's too hard yeah it's uh stop giving lip service to the we care about you guys well we know actually yeah yeah you're you're right i mean it just because it comes out of their mouth they think that's that's good enough but it's not we again that goes back to the believe it when you see it and when you start seeing actual programs getting in place and people being able to utilize them, that's whenever I'll believe it. Until then. Well, yeah. And I know, like, 
do you guys have ice yeah yeah iso is like nationwide right iso ratings i'm we're not familiar ISO. with them all right so we're iso class one insurance something office basically because we're iso class one the citizens of our fire district play, pay less on their homeowners insurance premiums because okay. we're a kick-ass fire department okay yeah. okay so now i know what you're talking about yeah okay sorry probably didn't explain that very well we're ISO class one, but in order to get ISO class one, there's like this giant, enormous checklist of things. Like you have to have this many gated Y's and you have to have this many um, hydrants this far apart. Like it's a huge checklist and we do that every year, but we can't treat health and wellness like a checklist because if we're just checking it off and not really getting anything done with it we're not having an impact and so we do need to put it on the checklist but the checklist has to have points of performance like meaning we gave them Whoa. time gave them resources we gave them am you, i talking crazy talk you're, you're talking about like standards and common sense and i'm going to remind you that it is 2022 and we can't have that kind of talk around here I'll put my checklist away. <laughs> but but I mean, I actually I, I did a post on Instagram for the longest time. I tried to be super vanilla because I wanted every I didn't want to offend anybody and I wanted everyone to like me. So I was like super vanilla. But I'm drawing a line in the sand now. And one of my posts was if you are looking to check boxes, I'm not your person. I'm not a box checker. And then my other thing I sent out to my email list recently was like, if you're trying to DIY it, I'm not your person. Like, hang around in the in my stratosphere if you want to. You might learn something. But I am not creating my content and putting my energy towards the DIY anymore because it doesn't work. I'm no. not going to pretend it does. No, it doesn't. I mean, there are things that DIY works for. and But there are also things that you need a professional, an expert. That's why there are experts. DIY I mean, when you get a new forcible entry prop and you send one person to the two-day class to learn the nuances, that works. They come back and they teach us. Yeah. That works. Human performance doesn't work. No, there's too much that goes into it. I mean, you're talking about just on a broad view, your diet. Then you're starting to talk about, you know, how the human body works. And then you talk about the specifics of, okay, what are the needs of a firefighter and how their body needs to work? I mean, that's not a two-day class. That's not a, oh, I'm going to read a couple articles and I'll figure this out. And then, no, there's a little bit, just a tiny bit more that goes into it, I would assume. And and the, like, like one, just one tiny bit of it is how to talk to people. How do you talk to someone to actually understand what the hell they want to do and what they're saying. It's called mm -hmm. motivational interviewing and it's a 400 page book. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm picking up what you're putting <laughs> down. That don't make sense. I know poor Nick next, next guy, like he's at his questions and he's like, God, he's nope. going off the script. Nope. I am enjoying this. <laughs> Let's get back on the script, Nick. What do you got? Oh, you know, I got I got some things. Um, 
let's <laughs> no this is perfect this is i wanted to ask a question because i know you've talked about this before job specific training in relation to fitness that's that's one that i would love to hear your take on yes this is my favorite one and what he's talking about again is doing physical fitness training in fire gear and i'm talking like burpees riding the assault bike rowing with an air pack on doing muscle ups in full turnout gear and helmet walking on your hands i'm gonna swear it doesn't fucking make sense it just makes you look like a douchebag well (laughs) if you look at it in terms of i'll say the word again human performance if you are the strength and conditioning coach for the Chicago Bears and your job is to get those bears in general physical fitness shape for the season, they're not bench pressing in their pads and they're not doing pull-ups in their helmets. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. But also, if they did it in their pads and their helmet, there's really not a huge risk to them it's stupid but there's not a huge risk to them because their pads and their helmet aren't soaked in carcinogens so my friend casey kramer was the guy for the chicago bears and i guarantee he never once bench pressed them in pads and a helmet now when do they wear their pads in the helmet when they start doing scrimmages why because it makes sense and they have to be able to move in their gear so now let's apply this to the fire service get in shape do your cardio do your strength do your pull-ups whatever in a way that you're able to move one and two not bathing in carcinogens for no reason just so stupid but yes and hear this loud and clear yes you do need to throw ladders force doors crawl down halls shimmy under low items with your uh, air pack on you do need to do that stuff and yes you are being exposed to carcinogens while you're doing it but at least you're learning a job task and it makes sense. And I look, I get so mad when I see it. I don't get so mad at the firefighters because some of them truly, I don't think understand. They're like, yeah, but I washed this gear. Well, yeah, but it's never really clean. Well, yeah, but this is brand new gear. I haven't even worn it to a fire. Well, yeah, but it's soaked in, it's soaked in carcinogens. Like you, I'm sorry, but the firefighters, it's forgivable because most of them might not know or they might not think about it. But the human performance coaches who are doing it for the attention and like the sexiness of it, shame on them. Because if they don't know better, they need to know better. And if they do know better, I'm just so disappointed in them. But I just, I had a conversation and this is with a friend Um, we've never met in person, but I have all these friends that I meet on Instagram (laughs) and we've been friends for like three, four years. And he was doing like 
these videos where he's doing battle ropes in his gear and he's doing um, snatches with the sandbag and his air pack. And I just, I finally, I texted him. I mean, I said, can we have a talk? Can we talk about something? It might be uncomfortable. And he's like, yeah, sure. And so we had a great conversation and I said, bro, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It's a risk. And he said, well, to be honest with you, nobody watches my videos. If they're just me in my shorts doing battle ropes. And I'm like, well, by nobody, you mean a thousand instead of 6,000, but okay. And he goes, and I just think in the fire service, we need to be a little more hardcore. Like we need to develop a little grit. And I said, fair enough. I agree too. We need to have better grit, but could you approach it this way? Could you approach it? Like, Hey, I'm XYZ firefighter and I'm going to show you how to force a door and then literally force the door in your gear and then cut away to you doing like um, in your shorts, in your gym workout clothes, doing sledgehammer strikes on the tire and pushing a sled or whatever. And just say, if you want to train like me and do the job, and he's like, yeah, I think I could do that. And I'm like, praise be one down, 5 million to go. Yeah. yeah. And not to mention, uh, you know, we kind of talked about injuries a little bit earlier, you know, the shoulders and the knees and the back and all that stuff doing pull-ups or any type of exercise like that with your air pack on, you're asking for a blown out shoulder because of the way those things are designed. They put a tremendous amount of stress on your shoulders. That's why we keep injuring them. So, and understanding that then you're going to go do a physical exercise. Like, come on, it, it's not designed to be used that way. No. And you know, your body, ankles, your ankles should move well, your hips should move well, your T-spine should move well, your knees should be relatively stable, your lower back should be relatively stable. And by putting that shit on, we're literally locking the joints that should be moving. So then what are we doing? If we can't move in our hips, where are we moving? Our lower back and our knee. So, I mean, yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really tough to convince some people, but that's, that's the line in the sand I'm drawing. It doesn't make sense. I think yeah. people are thinking that they're checking two birds or getting two birds with one stone. It's like, Oh, you know, I'm getting a workout in and I'm training for the job. Or it's like, this could be separate and to get better at throwing ladders, you need to just throw ladders. If you have trouble breathing on air, you need to do drills on air. Like it's not so much, doesn't have anything to do with burpees or, or sledgehammers. Just, just need to be in better shape, and doing it, you know, throwing the gear on does not add anything really. Well, there are you know job specific tasks like you talk about throwing a ladder. Mm -hmm. There's technique involved in that, you know, and you you can do all the sledgehammer strikes on a tire and all the pull ups and all the deadlifts and snatches you want. It's not going to help you with your technique on throwing a ladder. It'll make yep. you stronger which in turn actually can have let you have poorer technique. Um, if I don't know, Nick, if you've done jujitsu or AZ, if you have, it's the same thing. Like whenever you first start out doing that stuff, a lot of people try to muscle into moves and it doesn't work. The more experience you get and the more technique you learn, the moves get easier and easier 
and somebody who's trying to use all their strength against you, it's just easier to put them in a submission. I say if your goal is to get hot, sweaty, and tired, those aren't training goals. And so I think that that's what people are doing when they're putting on their gear. I just want to get hot, sweaty, and tired. Okay, well, awesome. You got hot, sweaty, and tired. But did you accomplish anything? Probably not. No. So we can all agree that uh, no. we're we're not a fans of not fans of that. And again, I'll say it again because people blasted me about it. Yes, you do need to get in your gear. Yes, probably every day or every duty day. And yes, you need to do job specific tasks in your gear. But no, you do not need to do physical fitness training in your gear. Gross. Yeah, no. <laughs> physical fitness and job specific training are two different things. Leave them separately. Don't be an asshole. What's next, Nick? <laughs> that, that's what I got. That's I, I didn't have a ton. I'm not like we said, it's the illusion of preparation. Ah, well, yeah. So Nick actually reached out to me, I don't know, like a few weeks ago. And he asked me if I had like some data on sleep. And I said, better yet, I'm going to teach you how to fish. And so if you don't mind, do, can I have like two more minutes to teach everyone on your, that's listening you, how to fish? You can have Absolutely. as much time as you want. Don't offer me that because uh, <laughs> I will... I will mess up your podcast subscription. <laughs> um, so here's the problem with the fire service. We are all or nothing. We're on a program or we're off a program. And that makes us really good firefighters, but it makes us really, really bad consumers of information. And so when we hear something, whether it's factual or not, if it sounds like it could be factual, we bite into it. And then we decide to go do our research. And I just got to tell you, looking up articles online and reading them is not doing research. If you're not like putting shit in test tubes and holding a stopwatch or whatever, you are not doing research. You are simply reading articles. That's minutia, but it drives me nuts when people say, do your research. No. Anyway, firefighters tend to gravitate towards YouTube and Google to find their research papers. And what they generally end up with is really shitty videos on YouTube or things from like the Mayo Clinic or Dr. Hyman or whatever his name is. And what I tell my guys is that YouTube and Google are not credible sources for scientific data. If you are looking for a paper or scientific data, you need to use Google Scholar. So literally you open up a Google tab, you type in Google Scholar, you hit enter and you get a new search engine called Google Scholar. And then once you're there, start to just put together strings of words to try to start pulling up papers. And so I've been recently digging into sauna use because a couple of my people on Instagram asked me to. And so my, my search terms are like detoxification or decontamination post fire sauna or firefighters and sauna and so on and so forth. And to be perfectly honest with you, the research that I'm finding is kind of conflicting each, each other. 
but be really careful. So this is your next admonition. Be really careful that you are not cherry picking your data. So let's just say you guys want to get a sauna in your station. And so you want to find papers that support the use of saunas. So you Google Scholar like benefits of sauna use in firefighters. And that's the only thing you look at. Confirmation bias. Confirmation (laughs) bias. Exactly. And then you're going to cherry pick that data. But at least, at least you found the data. It's scientific data on Google Scholar as opposed to looking on Google. But the last thing that I can say to you is that many times when you pull these articles up, they're going to be like, hey, a few, it's $200 American. Would you like to use your credit card? Well, if you're not a student at a a higher learning uh, education place, you're like, shit, how am I going to get this article? Because I can't get it through my college. Well, the beautiful thing is there's something called Sci-Hub. SCI-HUB and SciHub looks very much like a Russian hacker site. It's a little scary. I promise my computer's never been hacked, but SciHub, you're able to get most of the articles that you would ever find on Google Scholar. And so the point is we do so many things in the fire service based on research that nobody can ever find. Meaning I've been looking into this sauna thing and I'm not finding as much support as I thought would be out there. There are papers that support it. There are papers that are against it, but there isn't this huge body of research. So I guess that's my last soapbox, like inform yourself and use that information to make decisions. Make sure you're reading the whole article, including the methods. How did they do it? How big was the study? How did they do the stats? Um, and then, you know, not just reading the abstract and the conclusions. And I think I can drop the mic now. Well, that's good advice. Uh, I think there's a lot of us that just read the, uh, just read the headlines and then don't really pay attention to what the body of the paper said. Cause usually, I mean, and you see this on just regular news articles or whatever you might find that'll pop up on your feed. The article, the headline will say one thing, but if you read down into the body, it contradicts what the headline said. So, but well, I never, I'm not very popular on Instagram. I have a couple thousand followers, which is, you know, slowly growing, but the most popular thing I do is my research article reviews. And they're really tough because I try to summarize it in eight slides and 2000 characters without cherry picking but people seem to really respond to that. So I guess I'll keep doing it until somebody tells me not to. Yeah. I, I would definitely, yeah, I would encourage you to continue doing it. I mean, you're putting the work in to put out quality information that's helping people. So yeah, don't, don't stop doing that. All right. I'll keep doing, I'll keep doing it. Washdown said to do it. So I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right, AZ. So uh, why don't uh, you have any closing thoughts for us? Kind of sum things up. Yes, I have. I think the biggest thing that I would want to leave everyone with is that whole, yes, it would be super nice if our employers would take radical responsibility for our health and wellness, but if they're not going to, we need to. 
Um, if there's anything I can ever do for you, uh, go ahead and probably the easiest thing is to message me on Instagram at fire rescue wellness. And I do have a really cool website. Can I tell them about it? Oh, absolutely. All right. It's a www.firerescuewellness, all one word.org. My superstar, Lex Lancaster, who's my assistant. She's amazing. She took the picture. She built the website. She does, she does everything for me. She's amazing. So it looks pretty cool. I'm pretty proud of it. Cool. Uh, did you send me that uh, link or can you for your website? Oh, of course. Yeah. So I'll put that in the uh, video description whenever this gets posted to uh, YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music now. So, yeah, we're, enough. yeah, we're 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 fancy over here with tens and tens what, of followers. Uh, what podcasting <laughs> platform do you use? Do you use um, Buzzsprout? Uh, Anchor. Anchor. Yeah. Gotcha. And then we I upload. Go ahead. Uh, we upload directly to YouTube and then we use Anchor to distribute out to uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all that stuff. Got it. I started out on SoundCloud because that's who um, I actually, uh, I am sort of mentored by Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast. They're kind of like helping me out and they use SoundCloud. And so they put me on SoundCloud too. And the thing is the show notes were so jazzed up. I would make them like beautiful with paragraphs and like links and it would come out like a run-on paragraph. Mm -hmm. And so after a month I switched to Buzzsprout. It's so much better. Yeah. If you got to be careful, like on anchor, cause I will, I'll type it all out for YouTube and then, you know, copy and paste it whenever I'm uploading the anchor. And if I don't go back in and adjust everything, then it does the same thing. It's just one paragraph with everything mashed together. So, well, and Lex, the superhero, couldn't even figure it out. She was trying to upload it as like plain text, and we tried everything, and it was just, it was terrible. I couldn't deal with it. It was bad. Hmm. Nick, closing thoughts. I uh, just want to thank you for your time. Uh, it's very appreciated. Um, I think we got a lot of stuff here to, uh, you know, implement ourselves and I'm looking forward to that. So thank you. Awesome. And thank you guys for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, it was. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I can't say thank you enough because I think what you're doing and uh, what you're focusing on with uh, fitness and health and wellness with the fire service is definitely needed. Um you know, not, not enough of us take it seriously. And, you know, like I said before, it's not necessarily about right now, but it's about five years from now, 10 years from now, how are you going to feel? How are you going to be able to move? You know, what's your quality of life going to be once you retire? So, you know, don't spend all of your time now, not prepping for later because later is eventually going to come. So, you know, do, do, be, be proactive, do, do something that you haven't done before. Worry about 15 years in one day. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and end this episode. Like we do every episode. If you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there for you. If you want to learn a little bit about fitness, maybe you check out her Instagram page, uh, fire rescue wellness, um, or her website, um, which she already told you about. And we'll leave a link in the in the description, firerescuewellness.org, correct? You got it. All right. And, uh, you know, if you know somebody that's struggling, reach out, let them know you care. Don't be afraid to have that conversation. Um, 
and be invested and genuine with it. So um, thanks for stopping by and uh, we'll see you next time.